This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Cyber Frontiers show number 26, recorded on August 31st, 2015. Here on Cyber Frontiers, we explore cybersecurity, big data, and the technologies that are shaping the future, all from an academic perspective. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in Bellevue, Nebraska. And, of course, we host the show with world-class show notes, mostly because Christian does them each time, out at TheAverageGuy.tv. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, of course, you can contact the show. Just send me an email. Send that to Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Collison and now call in those questions. By the way, Christian, I'm trying to catch you on Twitter. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've added 500 to my Twitter account in the last two oh, weeks. Boy. So gonna, you, you better turn that Python script yeah. back on. At, you can follow me at Jay Collison so I can be Christian. And you can call in those questions, 402-478-8450. We'll play them right here on the program. Of course, TheAverageGuy.tv is powered by Maple Grove Partners Web Hosting. It's secure, reliable, high-speed hosting. From people you know and you trust, that guy there, I was going to say in the blue shirt, but you both have blue shirts. So Christian <laughs> over there running that, and uh, he's always got room for more. Plans start at 10 bucks. For more information, visit Maple Grove Partners. All one word, maplegrovepartners.com. And now Cyber Frontiers, of course, is a part of the Geeks Network. Find the links to this show and many other great podcasts out at the Geeks Network. All one word, thegeeksnetwork.com. Join me, joining me tonight, and this is... Like, for the last few podcasts, guys, you're all over the place. We haven't, I don't think we've been in one place consistently, but now that school started, we should be in one place. Of course, Christian is back on the campus there at the University of Maryland, somewhere on campus. How are you, Christian? I'm doing well, Jim. Uh, it's been a hectic moving week and uh, getting all that stuff sorted out and getting back to the semester and the grind, but we're doing well. And surprisingly, I feel like I'll be more productive slash available during the school semester than I was this summer, which is a fascinating concept, but um, is what it is. Yeah. So um, I'm kind of glad to be back in the saddle in the uh, security fortress that is Prince Frederick and uh, looking forward to junior year. Hey, two weeks from now, Monday night, I'll be there in town. We have to figure out a way to get a podcast done. We were talking about that. I thought maybe I'd blow the night off, but now that I'm thinking about the mechanics of that, maybe I'll jump on the train and we'll come down and do a late podcast uh, there. And then Ashton, they're no longer separated by a wall. Ashton, you've landed someplace else on campus. Where are you? Yep, yep. We're not quite as close as we once were. I can almost see, I bet I could see your room, Christian, though. From, it's a dreamy view from up here, I'll tell you that much. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's pretty cool. I kind of have a similar one, um, but I think you're a couple floor ha floors higher than I am. But, yeah, I moved into the adjacent apartment building and I'm back in College Park and ready to to get some stuff done. So it should be a good semester. Well, good to have you guys both in the saddle. We were mentioning Monday night. That's Monday night the 14th. Maybe we should do a meetup there in town and get a bunch of people together and we can record kind of a Cyber Frontiers meetup. I don't know. We'll figure it out. If you're listening to this recording, you're in the D.C. area, contact me. Send me an email, jim at TV. We'll figure out something to get some things going on. We've uh, Every time I come out to town, and, and this year I will get to come out twice. So I'll be out there in September and then again in October. And uh, so there'll be, there'll be times for things as we get together. But, of course, always get... I know we have a lot of D.C. area listeners. And so... If you are uh, if you are out there and you want to do that, let me know, Jim at theaverageguy.tv, and we will try to put that together while I am there. All right, let's talk about 
<laughs> we've had we've kind of had some interesting weeks. Uh, certainly, there's been lots to talk about when we think about just breaches, um, all by themselves. Christian, if folks haven't listened, you and I talked about I think on 23. You and I talked about the LastPass breach a while yep. back. I got a chance to interview Amber. We actually didn't talk about the breach much on Home Gadget Geeks, mostly because you weren't there. But uh, the other they didn't really want to talk about it. So. If you haven't listened to 23 and then Home Gadget Geeks uh, 220 something, four, I think is maybe, those those go together as we talk about LastPass. But another breach in the news when we think of Ashley Madison, this is a little dicey, yeah. right? When we think about what went on there. Uh, Christian, did you wanna, do you want to start this or is this Ashton? Um, I, I think I'll start it just because I was, you know, talking to Ashton today about it and we were like, wow, this is... Obviously, something that everyone is covering on the news right now, but we felt that it was probably pertinent for us not to just gloss over it. Um, this is a really fascinating hack. I think in the list of, you know, almost it's almost it's like cyber cyber frontiers has become a uh, historical catalog of major breaches in the last year because I feel like it's just every time we sit down to do another podcast, something else major has happened. Um, with the Ashley Madison hack, um, kind of another example of where the social damage uh, is really done with these types of hacks. And I think this is definitely the most significant in my mind where it's a very uh, personal type of targeting both to you know the CEO of Ashley Madison and the you know company as an entity, um, but also all of these individuals in the database of whom, Everyone is sorting out which one is, um, you know, which entries are validated and confirmed and which ones aren't. But it's really amazing to see the organizational response, um, especially with the kinds of searches that are being done. Like, you know, hey, how many of these emails are, uh, are DOD emails? How many of these emails are UMD emails? I mean, I've been reading all sorts of articles. Amazing to see how mo almost every organization that is of any significance in this country, there are major people in this database, and how many of them are real and fake and all of that is uh, a pretty interesting analysis in and of itself. But definitely, I think we've gotten a nice taste of all the different types of breaches one could uh, envision this year. We've had, you know, government breach of, of uh, classified uh, or, excuse me, not classified, but um, OPM data, security clearance data, IRS data. We've seen commercial breaches with Home Depot and, and so forth. Uh, credit card data, obviously. We've seen a lot of accounts stolen on various um, technology sites like LastPass and otherwise. And we've seen uh, Hollywood franchises like Sony uh, get gutted. And now we get to see... Uh, something that's really kind of a weird... I, I mean, I, I don't think many people would have seen this coming in terms of uh, being a major target of attack, but clearly it was. Um, and clearly they really did a thorough job of, of gutting Ashley Madison in the sense that the whole database and all the source code was released on the dark web, which I think uh, will be an interesting talking point tonight because I don't think we've really given much cadence to discussing um, how the dark web is uh, kind of plays into some of these leaks. Yep, and the year's not over yet, and we've already seen a ton of just wild stuff, so I guess let's let's dive right into this. I mean, it is a really interesting data set um, if you're looking at it just from that perspective, in the sense that in 
you know, recent history has not been something that maybe illustrates the the you know state of marriage and the uh, you know maybe the poor state that it's in right now as saliently as as this breach has. And you see articles like the one on uh, what was was it Forbes that you you linked yeah. to Christian is like one in originally the title of it was one in four married men in. America or on Ashley Madison. That that statistic turned out to be incorrect, uh, and they revised it to one in six. Um, and that doesn't count the fact that you know just because you have an account, you may not have even created it. It may not be your doing. Uh, it may be a fake or a bot. And you know, there's all sorts of caveats in this. But it is a shocking statistic to to be able to say. And I, I mean, I don't know. What, what do you make of that, Christian? I mean, I, I think it's fascinating that, yeah, A, one in six is definitely a jarring number. That means that, you know, for every six people you know uh, that are married, one of them is potentially... Uh, nope, it doesn't mean that, but that's all right. Well, it kind of does in, in terms of... In the of long run, yes. Statistic. Run. <clears throat> Statistically, it means that, but yeah. it I mean, doesn't always work out that way, right? Right, but the sample is significant enough that, on average, that would be... If, if, that's, if that fact were to hold true, then then chances of that happening pretty good. I'm yeah, sure I'm there's sorry. a lot of lurker accounts out there where guys went out and set up accounts just to see, and then they abandoned them, never thinking that, uh, and in this case, even I think some of the deleted accounts got picked up in the process. So It's kind of it's kind of funny to look at. I mean, I don't know. I, I think some of the estimates are a little pessimistic. I'm going to say pessimistic. Uh, they overestimate the number of people that, uh, that kind of carried through with it because they, they have statistics like, well, you know, they, they have 11 million accounts and the number that Forbes uses in their article is divide 61.2 million married men by 10 million, that's approximately one in six U.S. married men were on Ashley Madison. I guess that's just on there, but that if you say 10 million is like nine, you know, 90% of 11 million, that seems like a high you know, conversion rate, if you will. I, I doubt that that number, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know what the percentage was, the proportion of that 11 million number that were active users in the sense that uh, they weren't, you know, bots or just created on kind of like curious accounts. Yeah. Uh, so it's, and you know, you don't know. I don't think we'll ever know. Um, and that makes this kind of a misleading in some ways, I think, but it is really telling in a lot of other ways and that, you know, we never had anything to go on bef before in some ways. Well, it makes it spectacular from from the news standpoint to be able to throw out those kind of numbers and and I, I think there's a little link baiting going on among those. Regardless, right? I think from a from a security standpoint, you know, we look at uh, Christian kind of like what you said. We look at government. We look at Home Depot. We look at. I mean, these are companies that you would suspect. I don't think anybody on the planet thought. Hey, let's go hack this Ashley Madison site and see what we can get. And and then it's an embarrassing, you know, it's embarrassing or potentially uh, embarrassing, uh, much like the Sony breach from that sense, where they found just really good human issues, not necessarily data that, because by itself this data isn't worth anything, right? I mean, it it's just people's names on the site. But the, the the social value of it is gigantic. I guess that's, I mean, that I don't think it's credit card information. They can't do any financial stuff with it. But the, I don't want to say bribery, but the that social effect is so strong on this that 
it really it really turns people's heads. It really gets their attention when you think about this. And there's a lot of folks who are like, oh, geez, you know, I don't want. And it has real and real and measurable effects. And I mean, the CEO of Ashley Madison just uh, was essentially ousted. And you know, I'm I'm sure that they're going to be looking at it some serious setbacks financially and, and other specs and the people too are you know this is probably the result of you know I don't I don't know what number to throw out here but a good number of divorces and other you know just <laughs> at the very least serious conversations um, and you know that that's that's a big deal yeah I, I mean I, I think for me um... I was I was always I was surprised to read about how you know uh, the the fifteen thousand or so dot mil DoD email addresses that were in this. Obviously, we don't know if all of them are confirmed addresses or not. But even assuming that you know we know that there's a subset of these that that probably are, um, it's technically in the uh, uh, Uniform Code of Justice for uh, the military that adultery is a punishable offense uh, where you can basically be dishonorably discharged and and have um, formal charges brought against you in a military court. So um, interesting to see how those uh, real-world implications can play out. Um, Also really interesting to see who is grabbing this data and doing analysis on it. So... Um, I've seen a lot of university communities. There are a lot of professors who have already gone out uh, getting copies of this data and doing joins on it. Um, the data itself is not, um, if you're not security inclined or you're not uh, savvy with the internet, this data is actually very hard for you to get. Um, it really only lives uh, in the dark web, and that's where uh, you know having knowledge and understanding of tools like Tor. Um, and some of the other uh, browser direct uh, technologies where, yeah, you're not going to go find it in a Google search engine. Um, that's a, a uh, non-trivial roadblock for many people who yeah. might be interested in analyzing the data but otherwise don't have the technical means to get access to it. Um, yeah, and I, I think it might be good to give, like, a two-minute, just have a two-minute discussion on the dark web because, uh, I mean... For the uninitiated, I, I, I always, for, for a long time, didn't... It's kind of a, an ambiguous phrase, and you don't... It doesn't tell a lot just by hearing it. But from my understanding, and hopefully I understand correctly now, it's just something that's not really... It's separate from search engines, and it's, it's not reachable by links in the conventional web that you would go to via, you know, your browser every day, and, and you know, you start at your... Google and, and search uh, th- that way. Is that correct? or is there Yeah, I mean, the thing with dark web is that it's usually, um, yeah, it's not something where, you know, there's a domain name attached to it. It's, you know, you're not, it's not a really even necessarily HTML or something that's web browsable. Um, usually we're talking about encrypted, distributed, internet-based communications, whether that looks like a BitTorrent transaction or whether that looks like anonymized browsing like Tor um, where you know you're sharing files directly over an encrypted distributed pipe um, you and all your traffic I mean it's very anonymized and um, you don't necessarily have means to explore or search through the crawl through the dark web um, you kind of have to 
be on the in in terms of knowing what those connections are in order to get into dark web systems. And so this is where much of the hacker culture has moved to and lives within um, because it's how they protect their identity when they leak all this stuff. And it makes it easy for them to control the outcomes of them being able to do things that are not, uh, more often than not, uh, obviously not legal activities and to be able to subvert um, being monitored uh, while doing it. So, um, yeah, for your average user, you're not going to be able to go to Google and type Ashley Madison data. What you will find is websites like Have I Got Pwned, which, you know, they get a copy of the data and they put it into their database, and then you can go and search, you know, your email or your username and see, you know, has my data been in any number of these breaches? And they keep track of pretty much all the large breaches, like the Adobe breach and, and so on. Um, but, yeah, the dark web really kind of has no boundaries in terms of what the technologies are at play and and how you get to know how to kind of move within uh, the dark web. Yeah, and I think uh, in some ways, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 I don't know if, if privacy should enter in for this discussion because, you know, in some ways the actions are, are morally gray. I, I don't know if that's a debate we want to get into, but it's, it's just kind of an interesting perspective from that to say, well, maybe it's not something that should be floating around. Um, I don't know. That's that's just my take on it. But Yeah, and I mean, I think I, I think the other thing, too, is that there's such a, I don't know, the, the level of social strangeness about this whole thing, I think, is amplified by the fact that um, the way... Ashley Madison as like a source code was designed is kind of bizarre. Um, there was an interesting analysis done um, as to how a large portion of the reported females who are on this system are actually female chatbots that are highly sophisticated to lure men into starting conversations with them and that there's actually just a real gaping hole in terms of the ratio of active men, which I think they said was like 20, 20 million users or, or somewhere around there, uh, compared to um, active female users, which is just like 1%. But, you know, apparently the system to lure in these individuals, you know, the fact that they are talking and interacting with computers and thinking that it's the real deal is kind of frightening because I've talked about this before about how we are augmenting our reality to allowing computers to speak on our behalf or us to believe that computers can speak back to us in something more than a technological capacity of it being a service or a tool. Um, and I talked about that a lot when I talked about some of the social experiments that I did with Twitter. And this is more the same thing, but on a much more advanced level. And it kind of reminds me of some of the early AI work that was done with um, basically reflexive agents. And a reflexive agent is basically where the computer looks at what you typed or talked to it, and it uses the reflexive properties of, of language to pose questions back to you or to act as if it's following the conversation. But obviously, it can say really weird things back to you, and reflexive agents are not foolproof. Um, but the fact that they had these types of agents that were very believable is you, a little bit, yeah. Sorry, can you give an example of, of like what 
one might say and what the reflexive agent response would be? Yeah, so it'd be cool if I could find it online. Um, but, you know, Alice Chatbot is a really uh, kind of basic, basic uh, reflexive agent where, you know, you might ask something, you might say to Alice, um, I'm feeling sad today, and the chatbot might say something back like, I'm sorry you're feeling sad today, um, what's wrong? And it's basically parsing what you're telling it and just trying to turn it around and spin it back to you. So if you go to um, alice.pandorabots.com, um, these are really good examples of what a reflexive agent is. So, um, so it gives you a little chat box for Alice, and you can say something to it with the judge. So I might say, um, it's a shame that it is raining outside right now. And if I say that, um, the Alice says back, who said it is? Why so? Right, so it's just it's fishing basically, right? And they're really good at fishing. And some of the bots that have been made based off reflexive agents are actually really good, right? The Alice chatbot is very naive, so you'll get really funny stuff if you keep typing and talking to it. But um, so so Alice says back, "Who said it is? Why so?" And I'll say, uh, "The weatherman said so because it is his job." Um, and, and, and Alice says back, where would you rather be, right? So at this point, it's, it's completely lost in the line of reasoning. But there's some other cases where Alice Chatbot can actually keep up pretty well. But they've made much more sophisticated versions of these that are, you know, blur the lines much more so. Clearly for the domain expert uh, category of cheating on a husband or spouse, uh, they made really good bots for this. So that's actually, I think, fascinating to me because... That's definitely far left field in terms of how to recruit and attract people into uh, being a part of your website and being members. Um, it's really kind of, uh, I don't know, blows my mind. Yeah, it's kind of, looking through, so it looks like they have, uh, they were able to either infer things about the source code based on the data or they had access to some of the source code in this Gizmodo article mm -hmm. that will be in the show notes that, you, that Christian showed me um, and the, the one of the interesting things is that they kind of have to keep the bots sparse because if there's right. too many of them or you're getting too many messages at the same time, uh, you get suspicious because there's not, you know, conceivably that many uh, available people there. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting that there's kind of like a a sweet spot in terms of the number of the bots to keep it convincing. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the thing too. Even with the Twitter stuff, right? The the times we were most successful was when we were mixing real interactions with computer simulated interactions, to where it was kind of like, okay, I can't really tell the difference of who's doing what, and it looks like they're kind of doing that same thing here. Um, yeah. But yeah, it shows the graphs of number of times bots sent people messages on Ashley Madison. And it's like 20 million to 1,492, which is just. Yeah, let me let me share my screen and show that for one second because I have a really stupid like. This isn't a I don't know what to call this a. Uh, just a complaint about it, but it's, it's uh, like even the bars. I mean, if it's that skewed, which maybe it is, 
this is even too big for the, the 1000 part. Like, you know, 1000 is, is only, uh, you know, one twenty thousandth. Is that right? Yeah. One, one twenty thousandth of this 20 million figure. It, it would hardly be the black bar that makes <laughs> right, up right, the, right, right. the Y axis there. Yeah. yeah. The axis there. So it's just yeah. incredibly skewed. Um, if these figures are correct. Right. And by figures, I mean the numbers, the, the image is not correct. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I guess this is how they make shiny graphics in the magazine. Yep, it's got to be 3D because that helps <laughs> convey the information. Right, but yeah, and they post some of the bot chats down there too, which kind of remind me a little bit of Alice chatbot type things. Um, but... But yeah, I mean, uh, I I imagine it's interesting to go through the source code and see what those bots actually look like. Um, but there's definitely been a lot of people starting to look at that already. This this author, based on what I've seen in the code, the chat bots were fairly annoying. That's that's his his quote. The message they they weren't exactly smart. And then the verbatim list is like, hi hi hi, uh, yeah. hi there, <laughs> how are you? And I guess they call them engagers was like the term, the term Ashley Madison used to coax men into paying more for the services on the site. Um, but I guess they got a bar chart. I don't know if it was, I guess it was from the company's emails that showed like what the change in revenue was before and after they put on this bot system. And it's actually really astounding. Like it made a significant difference um, in their revenue, which is kind of, I mean, makes sense but it's fascinating that it had that much of an impact the other thing about this is they have a, a series of tables for they have uh six tables and they're all pairing either people already in relationships with people already in relationships or single people with people already in relationships in other words the only combination that's not there is single people with single people which i think is kind of why this has gotten so much attention is that it's kind of, uh, uh, you know, it's just a very salient and um, just a, a bizarre service that they're offering and not something that you commonly see. Right now. And I think that, you know, not only is the service offering unique, but it's still somewhat unclear to me. Maybe I missed it uh, in, in following this, but it's unclear to me what the, point of entry was that this breach actually occurred. I don't know if that was ever released other than the fact that, you know, hey, here's the data. We told you this was going to happen if you didn't comply. But I don't know as if the hackers ever um, released what the method was that actually um, got got the information um, leaked in the first place. You know, was it a database vulnerability? What what was it in the source code? That kind of thing. I don't I don't remember seeing much about that. I'm interested in hearing from you guys. Do you think this will change the behavior of people uh, in what they do? You know, in the way they think about security or the way before they start signing up for some of these services, they think twice before they do it, or does it make them put in aliases that aren't really them? And Do, do you want me to take this one? Yeah, Ashton, take it. Uh, I, I, I think rationally it should, right? Because... You know, it, there's this is a prevalent example of how your data is not as safe as you think it is. On the other hand, 
you could make the argument that these people were doing something that was risky, something that was advertised as being kind, not risky, but something that's sort of potentially immoral, moral gray area. Uh, and if you're going to make that step, you already kind of are taking on some risk because, you know, potentially having an affair is a risky thing to do when you're, when you're married. Um, so maybe that extra deterrent of, I, I don't know, maybe that, that, is it just important to them that it's not public? Maybe that, that was the part that let them go along with it. Um, so maybe that, that's enough to deter people. Maybe it's just like, well, if you're already going to do something that's potentially risky, you're going to do it regardless of the expected consequences. Um, so I don't know. It could go either way. But I, I think the example I was going to use that I don't think proves my point at all is cigarettes. Um, and the reason why is because they used to be a lot more prevalent than they are now in terms of American usage and you know smokers in the United States. Um, and now they're they're a lot more rare. You know, fewer fewer people started smoking them when it became uh, more clear how how bad they are for your health, and also just the the limits that were placed on them helped. But uh, in some ways, they still kind of have that. Uh, I don't know. To me, at least, they seem to have that appeal as a something that you do to to seem cool because it is kind of risky to do and. Um, in some ways, that's just kind of the image that cigarettes have. You see, like the gangsters smoking them, and you think, "Well, you know, I want to be, I want to be cool. I want to smoke a cigarette." I don't know if that's a relevant example here, but that's just kind of what I was thinking along those lines. Yeah, well, different in the sense that there's been 40 years of anti-smoking yeah. legislation and, and stuff to go into it, and this is the very, this is the very beginning of it. I just, I'm yeah. wondering, Christian, I'll throw it back to you now that you have your brain back. <laughs> Does this will this change people's behavior when we think about what they do online and the way they create accounts and the way they think about security? I don't think so. Not with this one, um, because the people who are on here to begin with probably didn't have the awareness slash intelligence level to garner that uh, maybe their data wasn't all that secure in the first place. Um, and there's actually um, several articles discussing how um, their user base continues to grow despite having this major breach. They're still getting like brand new spanking users, uh, you know, post-breach several weeks later. Um, so maybe people even know slash have learned, but they just don't care. Um, and at that point, no matter of education is going to really change people from doing that. So at least with this type of breach, no, I don't think it's going to have the impact or wake up that something like OPM, I think, has a higher chance of doing. I don't think you get it in this type of in this type of situation. Yeah, it's 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 almost over now already at this point. And it was yeah. just last week, right? I I get a feeling that it's uh, it's pretty much like, well, okay. And now it could resurface again depending on what they decide to do, what the hackers decide to do with this data. Is that, in your guys' opinion, has that already been done or is there still some threats out there of things they could do with it? Well, one thing that would be interesting is the thing that you know Christian mentioned earlier, that this is potentially a violation of law for some of the email domain uh, organizations that, were involved, according to the dump, which, you know, not necessarily kind of an alleged accusation there. You're not sure. But there may be trials in court over whether this occurred and, and you know, potentially people that could lose their job or, or uh, even face 
I, I would assume, some sort of legal penalty for using this site. And that, I mean, that's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. That trials take a while, and it, it might be take some time to parse through the evidence if there is enough. Um, but I, I don't think it's totally over. I, it might be now if over means it's out of the public eye. Yeah, I, I don't think that we're going to get stuck on this for more than another couple days, honestly, in terms of the, the mainstream media. Um, but I, and I, I kind of agree with Christian. I don't think this is going to be the wake-up call, like, wow, I really need to secure my data now. Because if it's not you, uh, it's just hard to empathize with that, especially when it's kind of it seems distant. It seems like, well, they made a mistake there. But it's not, it's not so far-fetched that you're storing information on websites that are not well-secured, and you just don't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that in some ways the the other facts about this particular case obscure the fact that this is just another example of a high-profile breach of a company um, and a loss of a lot of private information. And I, I think that that can be just a, a big takeaway in and of itself. Yeah, yeah and, and I think even the lawsuits too. I mean, there's a lot of people who are going to get frisky with this legally that it'll kind of drag out, but definitely from the technology side of things, I don't, I, I think this is very like, okay, yes, it happened, move on, nothing to see here, but obviously there's something to see here because there's a big buzz about it, but I think we've already started, like Jim said, we're already at the end of that curve. I think so. I think so. Let's um, let's move on because uh, we, we want to, I think we want to talk about this. When we think about DDoS attacks, it doesn't seem like those are as popular as they used to be. Maybe they are. And uh, and I know you guys have some things you want to talk about, Christian. What's different these days, or or what are we going to talk about when it comes to DDoS attacks? Yeah. So Ashley and I were thinking about, well, you know, how did how did Ashley Madison happen? And we were just talking about general web exploitation in general and what kind of the more popular things have been these days. And we were kind of wondering, uh, thinking, you know. Yeah, DDoS is really one that like everyone is really tired of hearing it, but I feel like it's still a major problem for organizations, and they struggle to build distributed resilient systems that can handle that kind of thing. Um, and so building preventative measures into those systems um, and and how DDoS is, you know, you can, uh, hackers can still circumvent around the protection systems is something that, you know, is still relevant in, uh, black hat conversations of uh, modern modern day. So um, Ashton is going to give us the deep dive on the technology, but we've both kind of agreed that uh, DDoS was a focus area worth mentioning simply because people are tired of mentioning it, but it's still a really important uh, area that we are struggling with. Yeah, actually, uh, the, re- the thing that made me think of it was when I was doing research a couple semesters ago, one of the graduate students was looking at uh, something called DDoS amplification. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, for the non-techies, just to break down those those terms, DDoS is distributed denial of service, which is where you have a bunch of um, potentially machines, maybe bots. A lot, this is a common sort of a botnet thing, or uh, it could even be something that you volunteer to do, kind of uh, a bunch of people. Uh, or a bunch of machines are attacking a single website to bring it down, hurting its reputation or maybe blocking its service for a while. And then the amplification part of it can be done in different ways, but essentially you are taking those that, that group of, of machines that's executing the DDoS and you're 
uh, either multiplying the, the frequency of the requests or the size of them. And one of the interesting things uh, that the that this graduate student had discovered, or not discovered, but saw that was very common exploitation was to request. Um, I think it was something to do with the system time, and when you would ask for that in a certain way, it would make the server uh, respond with like several megabytes worth of data, and you could do this as frequently as you wanted, and it would just bring the server to a standstill. Um, and this is something that's on by default in a lot of older systems, um, and a perfect example of something that can just totally cripple a machine and is really simple to do. I mean, you're not really there's not a lot of complexity to it. You're just making a, a simple request that's not particularly common, but it's not particularly hard either. Um, and I think that kind of sums up the the DDoS in itself. Is it's it's very simple. There's nothing complicated about the fact that you know you're just making lots of requests. Really, that that's what it boils down to. But it's hard to plug up all of the different attack vectors in that particular attack. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that uh, you can kind of get around it, and that's why we still hear about it today, even though it seems like something that we're all sick and tired of hearing about. What? Um, so, so, actually, when we think about it, I mean, are what is for for the you know just for the sake of argument, what is the most common preventative measure that it, it, you just got to throw more resources at it so it doesn't happen? Is it? A foregone conclusion: If someone decides to do it, you're just dead in the water. Yeah. So I mean, you you the the usual preventative measure, and I think Christian will be able to uh, <laughs> confirm or deny this and add on to this. But essentially, you would block the range of addresses that is attacking you um, and just stop the traffic like that. Um, but that often doesn't work on an individual domain level. So, for example, if you're hosting a lot of different services. Uh, you may not be able to do it for all of them, or you may do it for the wrong ones, or you may not get the right range of IPs, or they may be coming from just not a distinct consecutive range, and you don't want to risk blocking out legitimate users. So I think that's where a lot of the problems stem from. I, I don't know, Christian, you might be able to add more on to that description. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, still, uh, like you, going back to what you mentioned earlier about how some of these systems, you can just request data that, um, really is always um, it's a security problem in the sense that you think the problem is my system is not distributed or fault tolerant or big enough to handle the attack and more often than not it's an optimization issue of what features exist in the system that are necessary but that if abused cause um, these inherent problems where, um, you know, it's, you don't have the right security in place because they can do these things unchecked. Um, and that can be very hard when you're looking at a system with uh, tens of thousands of lines of source code where even some public-facing APIs or endpoints might be exploitable in a way that, again, is for its intended use. I think one of the best amplification examples is with uh, DNS requests, right? Uh, that's the whole point of a DNS system is to request and get it back. And technically, you're supposed to be able to request DNS unlimited, right? Uh, it's a distributed... DNS is a distributed global naming system. Um, the fact that you can take something like that down 
um, at least with some of the older DNS bind versions where those were specifically a problem. Um, you know, that gives a paints a really uh, important picture of, you know, as these systems continue to grow in complexity, part of that attack surface is really the surface of the source code and determining what feature sets at what level of access should be usable and at what frequency. And I don't think programmers are more often thinking about security and user profile features and permission levels before they're thinking about, well, is volume and complexity of feature also a requirement for what types of users should have access to those features and in what quantity versus not just like whether or not they should have access to the feature but whether or not they should have access to it in certain quantities. And I think that's kind of the, the problem is that like a lot of times you test your code, you might stress test your code, you might you know make a lot of legitimate requests uh, in a way that you would expect to see on a normal operating day. What you right. don't commonly do is make a lot of, you know, uncommon requests or in a way that the system isn't normally used and stress test it that way because that's not what you're expecting. But that is essentially what the, the amplification DDoS attack is, is doing and it's just not something that you, unless you're aware that it's going to happen, it's very hard to test for and I think that's why it's, it's relatively common. Yeah. Are, are either of you guys familiar? So when we think about a reaction, you know, or or a countermeasure to this, when DDoS starts to begin to happen or or whatever, some countermeasures that go in with with maybe some machine learning or something to begin to counteract those and those addresses and block them dynamically as they're coming in, as opposed to something, you know, is that is that kind of defense? Uh, available, or what's the what's the most common defense at this point? You know, Christian, you say, well, you know, block the you know block the IPs, but are there some common defenses that uh, are appropriate in this situation? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The common stuff rarely works successfully for things where you're being targeted versus kind of like a random DDoS attack. So, kind of the old convention thing is block IP ranges, keep up to date lists of uh, black hat crime, and that kind of thing. Um, there's definitely um, something to be said for putting those basic defenses in uh, will help cut some of it, but certainly won't cut the real sophisticated stuff. Um, to cut the sophisticated stuff, you know, you really have to look more into trickery or deception to make the um, people executing the DDoS attack think that they are succeeding in their efforts. And in order to do that, um, you have to build decoy systems. You have to, you know, a lot of what has come out with software-defined networking, honeypots, etc. You can combine and use these things in unique ways that allow you to basically make them think they're taking down the real deal when in reality they're wasting their own time. And so, kind of giving DDoSers the, you know, 403 forbidden or dropping them off the face of the earth where they know, oh, we got blocked. Time to rotate or go on to the next thing. It's not really the smart thing to do anymore. Now it's to make them, you know, get back those 200 OKs and make them think everything is all right and make them really have to dig and do work to see whether or not they're being uh, uh, duped, so to speak. Ken mm. yeah. asked, isn't that, you know, when we think about testers, to your point, Ashton, about uh, testing, isn't this whole movement of ethical hacking kind of that movement of, of 
thinking uh, like a hacker, but doing it in a way, you know, pen testing and some of those things, isn't that that space? Shouldn't they be responsible or that's the person you want to look to to help you secure it? Yeah, I think that's really good. But I mean, unless you have, but those are kind of few and far between right now. Um, And a lot of times the smaller companies just don't have the resources to have a bunch of ethical hackers on their team. Or it's just not the focus on kind of revenue-driven companies. I mean, it's not going to get you any new revenue streams. It's kind of going to prevent some loss, maybe, uh, and I, I think that's kind of where the problem is in general. And, and, and the, the the argument for cybersecurity can be tough to make for those reasons. This is just a, another example of it. Is it's it's a lot easier to justify a new feature than just saving potentially sa- saving some uh, expected loss. Uh, so that that that's kind of why yes, ethical hackers could potentially find this and and prevent it. But it's it's uh, it's just not feasible for for everyone right now. Yeah. Well, guys, anything else on that topic? I think that was just kind of our uh, not that it was super related to, to the Ashley Madison breach, and I don't I don't we're not suggesting that that's related in any way because um, I don't think it is. They they're you can't really get additional information like that. Right. Um, but it is something that was just prevalent. I, I saw some. Uh, black hat uh, presentations on it, so uh, I thought it would be an interesting discussion to have. We haven't yeah. really talked about it that much on the show. No, so. it's been it has been a while since we've had that conversation. Uh, anything else we want to kind of? It's been a weird night. Uh, when <laughs> if you're listening to the recorded version of this, you won't hear any of the weirdness. So I've cut that all out, but we had a major outage uh, kind of right in the middle of this. But uh, Christian, anything else from from your side? No, I mean, it's clear that my brain walked somewhere in the middle of transition from part one to part two, so I better quit while I'm ahead. I I can cut that out uh, for sure, and I'm going to make you guys sound like rock stars. So it's going to be, hey, let's let's real quick, from a community standpoint, let's update both of you guys. School has started. Classes have started. Give me a give me a quick two minutes on what does the fall look like for you and, and what kind of stuff is ahead, Christian? Let's start with you. Um, so I'm pretty much, this is my first year where I'm uh, split down the middle doing computer science and business courses, uh, so I'm about half and half on that. Um, at this point, I've finished uh, all my gen ed, I've finished my lower level CS, I've finished all my math requirements, so I'm really down to business courses uh, in the business honors college and um, taking 400 level CS courses, of which uh, my first out to bat on those is in compilers and database design, both of which are really essential to computer science. Um, So it's going to be a lot of project work. It should be um, challenging, but I think it'll be uh, really valuable content to be getting. Cool. Nashton, how about you? Yeah, um, my two 400 level computer science classes, I'm taking databases. And I am taking network security, so that is hopefully something that I can kind of draw on to discuss on this show. And I'm also doing research under Dr. Perlo, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, the I'll hopefully have some news on the research I was doing before, um, but I, I'm uh, working on a new. I'll be working on a new project this semester, and. Uh, I, I we may I'd like to have him on the show again. So maybe Christian and I will discuss that. I know he's kind of doing some some work with him as well. So 
yeah. uh, it's all it's all good stuff. And of course, you know, coming in every so often to to go to the DC office at Gallup and stuff. So that's that's going to be my semester. Should be fun. No, it's good. It'll be good to have you. I mean, I feel like you're settled in. You guys are both settled in at Gallup and uh, and just getting work done now. We had just summer in in Omaha, and uh, Christian's settling back in, and he's right. He's got a little bit more time now <laughs> than he did in the summer. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing from him a little more often from that standpoint, but uh, we've got some really cool stuff to work together on, both with Cyber Frontiers and, of course, with Gallup through the fall, and uh, I'll be out there a couple times. So it'll be fun to just kind of see what comes up. You guys are doing a great job uh, for us, and so I appreciate that. The work that you put in, and, and uh, Ashton, I know you, got, you just grinded out a project here in the last week to uh, to just get that done. So thanks for doing that. we got to get Colin back online somehow. He's enjoying yeah. his summer a little too much. <laughs> we tried today, and we got luck, so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, so I heard from him, I heard from him today. He's he's going to the office with me tomorrow. So okay. that should be good. We're meeting up with uh, we're doing some meetings. So we'll, we'll meet up with all the people that we were with in Omaha. Good. Should be good. Yeah. good. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting. You know, now that you've met a bunch of people, the the goal of the summer was to get you to meet a bunch of people in Omaha, and uh, I think we were largely successful at that. Yeah. And um, so it's it's the fall has begun. We we'll have a full schedule. We'll work on. Um, you know, every other week with Cyber Frontiers, and so if you're if you're an avid listener to Cyber Frontiers in the audio version or even the video version, that'll be a little messy this this time. But uh, if you're if you're an avid listener to Cyber Frontiers, we'll we'll keep cranking them out every couple of weeks. And of course, I like the idea. We'll we'll get uh, Dr. Perdillo back on here. I'm going to teach in his class actually twice this fall, which would be really really cool. So get a good night. Uh, and we're teaching Strengths Finder stuff, not computer science stuff. So. World, don't be too worried. Jim is not not <laughs> real live computer stuff, but uh, we're going to talk about Strengths Finder uh, in his class, and so we're going to come in, and the students will be taking Strengths Finder, so we'll be doing a, a kind of a strength session on that, and then no, oh, three weeks later, we talk about using strengths with team formations, and uh, that'll be really fun because a lot of times college students have to get be put together in these ad hoc teams, and they don't know each other, and it. It almost never works, and so I'm trying to up the I'm trying to up the learning curve. I think both of you guys know, since you've both been through StrengthsFinder and you know kind of how it works and the way we use it, that kind of speeds up the learning curve on when you put teams together and you know what who, who's good at what and how people are kind of built. That kind of speeds up the adoption process, and I think makes groups work better. So we're yeah. We're excited about uh, getting that kind of stuff going at the University of Maryland, and I've been picking up a couple more interns in the uh, at the university. So you guys have some work yeah, to do. Yeah, we got to get on that. Yeah, yeah, it's time. It's time to get them hired. We get them started maybe even before Christmas if we can. Sure. Get them on board and get them rolling, and everybody's excited about that. So I'm I'm super pumped about what's going on at Maryland and uh, building a little a little group there. I think I could get as many as eight of you guys going to in each class. Wow. And yeah. That'll be that'll be pretty cool. You guys had you guys had a great summer. And, yeah, it was uh, awesome. Did, did Thank a lot you for us. Yeah, no, you guys did a lot for us. So appreciate that. We uh, well with that we'll close it up. Stay around if you're listening live. Stay around for a little bit of post, and uh, we'll do that uh, here shortly. We'll remind you and say thanks actually for using the Average Guy TV uh, Tech Scholarship Fund out at the Average Guy TV slash Amazon. And a really good month here in the month of uh, what what are we in August? It's a weird. I, I didn't think that like August is that much of a purchase month. It's not like Christmas, but 
you guys did a great job on that. And of course, we're turning that around. Um, I just shipped a. You guys know those Leap motion controllers? They have a they have a yeah. new generation of them out. And uh, yeah. somebody had uh, said, "Hey, I'd like to try that out." So I just shipped that. It arrived today. We'll get a review from the Leap Motion Controller. We've been using talk.to, T-A-W-K.to. That's if you go to theaverageguy.tv and you look in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a red tab down there that says Ask Jim. If that's ever on, if you see that, that means I'm sitting at my desk. And if you want to just chat with me, Ken does that a lot. That's how he catches me. You can send me a quick message on that. It rings over here on this side. In fact, you heard Ken in the as we were going, I forgot to unpress the button. And uh, you heard a you heard a crazy sound. That was talk.to, and that's um, a great way to communicate with me. Right before the show, someone was looking at the HP Stream 14 that I had t- uh, that I looked at last year at this time. I guess Groupon has a refurb deal, something like 200 bucks, which for that HP Stream, two gig of RAM and an A4 processor, not the greatest machine in the world, but for 200 bucks and a little extra PC, maybe even not a bad deal. That was on Groupon. If uh, I don't have the link, but the point was they communicated to me right before the show through talk.to. You can do that as well. So if you're ever out at theaverageguy.tv, you want to get a hold of me, it'll leave messages as well. So you can do that if you want to get a hold of me. Another way to get in touch with me. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, do that, theaverageguy.tv slash subscribe. And we want to thank Mediafire for hosting both the large and the small version on the video side. You can do it well, and those are picking speed. We've also picked up uh, some shorter versions of home tech tips. So if you haven't, you know, I started that. Then I kind of gave up on it. <laughs> Back in May, we kind of stopped doing it, and I've restarted them again with the intention of uh, pulling uh, shorter bits out of Home Gadget Geeks and maybe some stuff from Open Mic Night and making those available in three or four or five or seven minute chunks if we do interviews. Those are also, we're also pulling this out. This show does not lend itself as well to those kinds of things, so we won't be making them out of this. But if you've unsubscribed from Home Tech Tips, we've got a bunch of them coming out, so you might want to. I think I figured out how to get that done. So you might want to head out there and subscribe to Home Tech Tips as well. And, of course, as a reminder, Christian's taken on some new customers for Maple Grove Partners. And so if you're looking for web hosting, particularly when it comes in the WordPress space, if you want to start a blog, that's kind of Christian's specialty right now. So you might want to head out, get those set. He has a container for you. The average guy TV, Christian, pretty fast now, even with the plug-in problem that we were having. Um, you know, I thanks for working so hard to to get those containers working right, and I think we've got the query down in just a second. When it uh, when it hits, boom, it's in and done, and the plug-in effect is uh, is not as bad as it was. So that's all Christian's work. That is MapleGrovePartners.com. If you want to get that out, ten bucks get you started. We'd love a few more customers to jump on there and uh, and get that done. And, and so we are out here every other Monday night, and it's just sporadic. There's no way to say that it's going to always be for sure. But uh, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern is kind of what we shoot for, and we'll be back here maybe with a live remote in two weeks from, from uh, Washington, D.C. as I'm out there to do some work with these guys. And, uh, and so we'll ask you to kind of watch the – I tell you to watch the page because I've got an alert out there, but – like tonight, I put it out there like 30 minutes early, so I apologize for that. This is just one of those things where we kind of throw it together when we have time. But uh, for those of you who came out and watched live tonight, I want to say thanks. For those of you who are listening to the recorded version, thanks as well. And with that, we'll say good night, everybody. Good night.